Welcome to the newest installment of Entertainment Geekly, your guide to all things sci-fi, fantasy, futuristic, days of future pastoristic, generally awesome. I'm Darren Franich. It's 2014, and calling in from the mausoleum in New Orleans where they buried him alive, it's EW's Jeff Jensen. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm 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 doing really well, Darren. How are you this new year? I am doing just wonderful. 2014. So excited. So excited for all the different things that are happening this year. So glad we made it, Jeff. I, I still pinch myself every day, glad that the Mayans were wrong. Or we were wrong about the Mayans. I don't know how that worked exactly, but we're we're still here, is what I'm saying. Uh Jeff. Darren? We, Darren? Yes. Darren? How much coffee have you drunk this morning? <laughs> Not enough, clearly, Jeff. Um, we have a couple things we're talking about today. Later on, we'll be discussing uh, American Horror Story Coven, uh, which is sort of hitting its final few episodes now, uh, and probably a lot of people will be dying soon and coming back to life. But first up, Jeff, uh, we want to talk about a new show that just hit HBO, True Detective, starring uh, Matthew McConaughey. I think maybe we should call him Matthew McConaughey 2. 2.0 at this point he seems to have kind yeah. of full you know he seems to have done it in like the most incredible career reboot in recent memory uh, Matthew McConaughey Woody Harrelson the premiere just hit HBO on Sunday and it was the highest rated premiere that HBO's had since Boardwalk Empire Jeff you wrote a uh, a, a short piece on True Detective on EW.com I think it was one of your shorter pieces um, yeah. fa- <laughs> fair, fair to say though uh, I think I, I think I think you kind of like the show is that is that an accurate uh, depiction of your opinion? Yeah, you know, um, I, uh, I, I've seen the first four episodes, and to be honest with you, I should probably only restrict comments to the first three, although it's hard not to talk about the fourth one as well. <laughs> um, but, but, but only because the first three were the ones that HBO uh, presented to critics in what you could call really finished form. Um, you know, I think there was some kind of temp music issues, um, but the fourth one that was given to us was was really incomplete, and it was a, it was a case study for me and why maybe networks shouldn't send uh, uh, episodes out in advance just to sort of please critics because it was like it was so unfinished. It was it was a slight buzzkill compared to the, the the very polish of the first three. Blah blah blah. Pre- preamble to say I've seen the I saw the first three episodes and I just really fell hard for them um, and first and foremost because of the performances by Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson but but maybe Matthew McConaughey more than Woody because you know as we're going to find he has the more flashy part um, he might have the slightly harder role at this point he's certainly the most interesting character at this point and the way that McConaughey just tells this man's story and then brings to life the man he used to be in the past is just absolutely magnetic and, and, and amazing to watch. But the storytelling of the show, um, and I'm, I'm just a big fan of storytelling and different ways to tell story, and not that you have to tell stories in really inventive, innovative, like nonlinear ways to be good. You can be very straightforward and be very, very good. But this is a show that t- has a very bold storytelling kind of story structure, uh, moving back and forth in time between two different 
men who are telling the same story from different angles and might be lying about some details, and um, and it moves very fluidly and sometimes with some, uh, a touch of surrealism, but always, of course, sort of great naturalism and, and, and a sinister vibe, and it's kind of embedded with ideas, and it's it, 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 it just... It feels, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it it really feels like like a feast to me. Uh, you know, I I I watched the first episode actually uh, when I got home from covering the Golden Globes. So you know, I, I was already in in sort of a woozy frame of mind. And the first episode, especially, we, we should talk about it a little bit. So the, the basic setup before we get to e- the even crazier stuff is it's a detective show. McConaughey plays uh, a character with the best name of 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 the twenty fourteen TV season, Detective Rusty Cole. Uh, if I if I'm pronouncing that, that, that last name correctly. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's Rust Cole, and gr- it, it, it's a great name. It, it, it's kind of what would happen if, defect, if detectives picked a stage name, <laughs> like, you know, like the way porn stars or, or, or adult performers pick stage names for themselves. Like, th- this guy picked Rust Cole. That would actually be an incredible thing for the American law enforcement system if, like, when you become a, a, if, a, like, like, w- when you become a detective, it's like, you know, when you become a priest, it's like, all right, now you need a new name, you know, like, like, yeah, Tommy Rabinowitz isn't going to do it anymore. And now you're Detective Rust Cole. So he uh, is sort of newly partnered with a detective who's a bit more of a straight arrow. Woody Harrelson plays Detective Martin Hart, uh, which I assume is also a, a symbolic name, because at this point, I assume everything attached to this to the show is symbolic. Um, and when the, when the first episode begins, they come across a murder that I mean, it, it, it's hard to describe, but it sort of looks very ritualistic. There's antlers. It sort of suggests like like the Wicker Man or something like that. And as they investigate, we're sort of cutting to them in the present day. The the, the main action takes place in 1995. In the present day, uh, we're sort of seeing both of them narrate this in different places. I, it, it, it's it's interesting just because it sort of felt like based on that first episode. Uh, you know, I, as someone who doesn't quite know what's coming next, it feels like everything that they are saying in the present day is probably a lot somehow and I, I, I can't remember the last time that the first episode of a show really felt like that where you're just like alright I need to actually pay attention to everything to every character um, but it, it does seem like you know uh, it, you've seen a little bit more of it Jeff is there any sort of like easy comparison or is this show just kind of totally something we haven't seen in a while well you know in my in my recap my very small little recap um, I kind of compare it a little bit to the usual suspects only we have two verbal kints um, <laughs> now like uh, they 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 may be telling us the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth um, as we you know like to sort of kind of like recap a little bit of what you said, the structure of the show is we, we actually begin with them in the year 2012, and they're being interviewed separately by these two other detectives, and we don't know necessarily why these interviews are taking place. That becomes a sort of like, that starts revealing itself over the course of the first episode and, and, and even deeper in, in, into the series. But what we know is that these two detectives in the present are asking these two different guys, Rust and Martin, here in, 20, in, in, in the present day of 2012, to tell them about a case 
that they that the, 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 the first case that they really kind of like investigated together um, in their seven year partnership together, a case that took place in, in, in early 1995. And when we get the sense that this case, this investigation into this murdered woman, a, a young prostitute named Dora Lang, um, whose body has been left in a burnt out sugar field, a sugar cane field, and has been sort of dressed in sort of like ritualistic fashion, maybe satanic, maybe it might be neo-primitive, it might be weirdly Christian, um, we kind of don't know. Clearly we're dealing with a serial killer or just a very strange killer that sort of kills in the fashion. Like, I, I, I got a strange... Um, uh, Kevin Spacey and Seven vibe from fr- from from the way that the body was adorned. It's not enough for this killer to sort of like just murder a prostitute and dump the body. No, he's got to decorate it and sort of like you know communicate some kind of message or deep ideas through his sort of like perverse transgressive art installation that he's turned this woman into. So here we are in the present, and we have these two men, and they're 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 very, very different men than they. They were in 1995. We, we see that immediately and visually from them. You know, Matthew McConaughey um, here in the present is this beer guzzling, chain smoking, stringy haired burnout. He reminded me a little bit of, um, uh, you know, uh, a slightly less satanic Bob from Twin Peaks. Um, <laughs> remember that guy? You know, he's kind of got faded jeans. You know, he might tend bar in some sleazy bar. Like, like you know, down in the bayou, or he might be a, a weekend janitor. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's that. Uh, there's there, there's a great scene with present day McConaughey where he basically just demands that, that the cops get him, you know, an an entire six pack of beer because it's his off day and it's after twelve or something like that. I mean, you really you really get the sense of like 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 this this is this is a person whose personality has been has been in corrosion for many many years now. Right, like he he starts drinking after twelve and. You don't get to interrupt that. <laughs> I love that. And then, and then, and, and Martin Hart is like this um, kind of puffy but vitamin popping, put together PI security firm dude, and, um, and 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 he's just a slightly more puffy version of the guy that he used to be back in 1995. And so, as we're here in the present, and as we're hearing them. Uh, tell these other two detectives the story of the investigation into Dora Lang in, 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 in 1995. They're also producing a chronicle of, 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 of the men they used to be and what, what brought them to that moment in 1995. So over the next several episodes, you're going to hear Matthew McConaughey kind of unpack his history. And it's a very tortured, painful history, even more so than he revealed, I believe, in the, in the first episode where you found out that he had a dead child and that he was divorced. He, he, he's got a whole lot of horror locked up in that head. Um, and we're going to hear a lot about him and we're going to see how the, the, the investigation of Dora Lang kind of activates him anew in a way, sort of living a dead life as we sort of meet him in 1995 and, and as we again see him in the present. But he's going to be activated anew in 1995. Meanwhile, Martin Hart is this sort of like more simple, more straightforward. He's very much a product of his Bible Belt culture. He's, he's a Christian. He's a family man. But he's not a terribly deep one. And as we're going to get to know him over the next couple of weeks, we're going to realize that he's kind of wrestling with something that you might describe as a midlife crisis, that this, um, you know, he's sort of acting out in sort of like very hypocritical ways in relationship to the values that he's spouting both in the past and in the present. And the investigation of 
Senator Dora Lang is only going to accelerate and agitate agitate those issues, and he's he's going to unravel. And so, in 1995, as we see sort of like um, Martin Hart implode, we're going to see this sort of haunted um, uh, Rust Coal activate and grow strong, and there's sort of bickering partnership, which you get to sense in the first episode because they're very different philosophically, right? Yeah. Like, like Rust Cole is this severe atheist pessimist who just has this most, the, the most, you know, like like the cynical, most cynical possible view of humanity born out of evolutionary biological thought that you can imagine, you know. Yeah, there's there's and 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 like you know just like for people who didn't see it, uh, you know, there's sort of like the scene which I, I I sort of thought of as True Detective's version of the scene in every buddy cop movie where you establish oh these two guys just don't get along. And it's one of the best versions of that scene I've ever seen, where Woody Harrelson's character just says, "Hey, uh, are you a are you a Christian man?" Just you know, kind of making conversation, and that leads McConaughey to basically say, "I think human consciousness is an accident, and we should stop having children." And it's just like, okay, these these two guys are diametrically opposed to each other. <laughs> Sorry, I asked. <laughs> Lots of great subtext, and the way that those guys act those roles, it's pretty amazing. Because, like, you know, what I love about that moment, among many things, is that when when Woody Harrelson doesn't ask ask him, are you a Christian, he assumes that he is. And that's the kind of culture that we're dealing with down here in this sort of Bible Belt down south. And and it's your first hint that, yes, we can call Woody Harrelson's character Christian, but he's almost like a cultural Christian. Yep. He's born into this world. These are the values that he's received, the worldview that he's received. He's probably never thought about it too critically, although you kind of get the sense as, he, as we see him sort of like unravel as we do in the issues that you know, the, maybe maybe deep down he is questioning, but he doesn't want to, or he, he knows that maybe there's some things that he's just never really thought through. So when he asks this question of McConaughey, it's like, you know, you're a Christian, right? And then like, and like Cole, was like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cole, Cole takes the question very, very seriously, which I think that, and it's funny, you know, it's funny you talking so much about the interplay between the characters, because I feel like for a very long time now, the way we talk about television, uh, you know, for, for many reasons is very much rooted in, you know, in the writing and in the sort of, you know, narrative decisions that, uh, you know, the, the creators have made. And there's so much to talk about with this series with regards to uh, the writer, Nick P- Pazzolato, who I think before for this has only really done I shouldn't say he's 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 only done novels Jeff can you can you imagine novels uh, he's he kind of he, 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 uh, he's only done one novel he's, 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 only, done one he's novel. only done one novel what a loser um, no uh, um, you know what he's also done Darren is that he, he wrote a couple episodes of the killing at the end of season one. Oh, so really he has some television under his belt. Wow. Well, there, I mean, there's a, a whole other thing to talk about here about how, how, how True Detective is yet another example of how every kind of TV show is gradually becoming AMC's The Killing. But we'll leave that for uh, for another episode. Um, but <laughs> what I liked about the first episode of, of True Detective is, you know, you have Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson, who to me are they're the kinds of actors where you know even you know they both kind of feel like they have basic personas as sort of as celebrities. Um, you know, McConaughey really is the sort of, you know, kind of kind of good old boy. Harrelson is, is not necessarily that much different, I think, in his kind of most iconic roles. He's, you know, he's played, 
you know, a little bit crazier. He's played sort of, you know, buttoned down crazy. But what I like in this show is it really feels like it's a showcase for both of them because McConaughey, I, I, I can't really recall the last time I saw him play a character like this. It just seems like, you know, he's very subdued. Even like the way he walks, it almost seems like his suit is a little bit too big for him. There's, you know, I, I, I almost wonder if there was, uh, you know, he still kind of looks a little bit like his character in uh, Dallas Buyers Club. He's, he's much smaller yeah. than, than he used to be. But there's just a certain, like, there's a real inner darkness to him that I find fascinating. At the same time, as you were saying, what's great about Harrelson in this role is, at least initially, he kind of just seems like a guy. There's a real sort of, almost like, you know, every man quality to him. Not necessarily likable every man, just kind of like, you know, whatever uh, McConaughey starts talking about, you know, his atheism and stuff, you know, you, you just see Harrelson kind of scrunch up and be like, God, you can't, don't, don't talk about that stuff around my kids, okay, man? It, it sort of got me wondering if, if this is sort of an example of what's exciting about this new era of TV where there's shows like this, this, this season of True Detectives only going to last eight episodes. It's cool to think about actors sort of getting this opportunity to really come in and almost kind of do a lot more with characters than we sometimes get to see in, uh, you know, with characters on television. So that's kind of like... Were you think- we're using the word characters a lot here, and that's what's exciting about about these movie stars coming into television, which is like, you know, these guys just didn't come in and take a job and for, for a star vehicle. You know, this isn't Josh Holloway and in intelligence. You know, this <laughs> is, um, these, these are guys who, like Matthew McConaughey, is, was probably always more of a old-fashioned movie star than like Woody Harrelson was. Woody Harrelson immediately went from television and became sort of like a character actor, leading actor kind mm-hmm. of guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but McConaughey was that romantic comedy guy who's now completely reinvented himself as a character actor, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 so, and, 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 and with these guys on those trajectories, with those kinds of mentalities now about their career, they come into television here, they take these two parts, and what is thrilling is that, is that, is that how serious they clearly take it like like they're going to they're going to create these men they're going to they're going to make us feel who these guys are and where they came from and how they think now and there is something that yeah McConaughey has the flashier role because he says the most extraordinary profound disturbing crazy <laughs> things right and as 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 we get into the first couple of episodes he's going to do the most overtly heroic things too and he's going to um he's going to be the kind of guy that we're kind of cheering for either to you know kind of continue being his rusty coolness um or to to actually maybe holy maybe maybe somehow find some kind of redemption or pull out from this dark place that he's clearly living in one of the things i find kind of electrifying about about mcconaughey is that he, he he's he's learned how to work his McConaughey-ness um, 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 to all sorts of great effects, specifically his voice. He understands how his the tone of his voice works, his accent, the, the, the volume to speak at, how his tone kind of wrap, wraps around language. I love hearing him talk in this. It's hypnotic, you know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and there's some, and like watching him sit and drink and smoke and hold court and hold our attention, hold the detective's attentions that he's speaking to with, with nothing more than just this sort of haunted, hollowed out gaze and the, the tone of his voice. Um, 
it's 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 really great. It, it, it is great, and it's it's funny because uh, you know on Sunday I, I sort of feel like you know if you're a McConaughey fan, which I sort of like after last year we all are now. You know he sort of gave two great performances this past Sunday. One of course, <laughs> it, one of course in True Detective, where in both timelines it feels as if he's doing his best to sort of play the least likable version of himself in in the sort of in 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 the 1995 era as as we've discussed. He's very sort of like withdrawn and he's constantly talking about you know the the abject pointlessness of life in the in the 2012 timeline he looks like a roadie for the absolute worst frat rock band of all time and he's drinking and he's smoking and it, it was great watching that mere hours after he accepted his golden globe for Dallas Buyers Club when he was just really like peak charming McConaughey like all right all right like you know go Go get it, son. It's just it's it's great because it feels like uh, this again. It's a great thing about True Detective is it really does feel like this is an example of what TV can do now. Is it can really give actors who sometimes don't get the chance to do that, um, you know, in in movies now this opportunity to really kind of explore these characters in really sort of interesting ways. Now, uh, uh, another cool thing about True Detective, Jeff, is this is sort of a show that if it's a success, which at least this week it, it appears to be, the goal is to make it uh, a sort of... uh, a sort of like series anthology where the next season would be a different sort of noir detective story, right? Is, 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 that, is that the rough plan for the show? Or- That's the rough plan. Different season. So let, let, let's talk a little bit about that sort of overall big picture storytelling structure because it really is special compared to a lot of other television shows that we see. For example, this show... Um, who's created by a guy named Nick with a last name that neither of us right now can pronounce. Pazolato, Pos, Pos, I think is what it is. You got it. We're calling him Nick. <laughs> uh-huh. Nicky, Nico. <laughs> and, uh, but, but Nick not only created this show, but he's written every single episode. So there's this great sense, for better or worse, of authorship. Um, this guy is, um, is, is owning his creation, and we're, we're getting almost like a, 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 a novel. He's, he's, he's running a show, but he's not running, um, a, a, he's not managing a group of different voices who are collectively breaking story, and then he's sort of like, you know, signing out stories and then like letting everyone kind of do their own thing, but homogenous, you know, like making sure they all sync up into a story. This is him, and this is his voice, and this is, this is an eight part, eight chapter novel for TV, and even better. It's directed by the same guy. Yes. You no. Know, um, so, um, and 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 again, like you and I, and our bold tradition of just not really knowing the names of anyone who makes the make the stuff that we like. Um, I, his name is Carrie something. Yes. Yes. No. I, uh, Jeff. I, I actually wrote this down this time around. It, it's Carrie Fukunaga, uh, who also directed, I believe, the Jane Eyre adaptation a couple years ago. Uh, about which and, all I know is that Fassbender was in it. I think. Right. The nombre. Uh, Nombre, this sort of like uh, this, this immigration thriller uh, indie from several years ago, which also got a lot of great notices. So, yeah, I mean, he's a talented guy to watch, and he directed every single episode. So you you really have this storytelling team that you know combined have created this great authorial voice that that that, that pulls it through. And I got to tell you that after watching that first episode of, of True Detective, my and and the spell that it casts on you. My biggest fear was that, okay, we're going to get into the second episode, 
and I didn't know this at the time about the second epic, you know, that it was all being written and directed by the same guys. But um, my biggest fear about the second episode is we're going to, was that, is it, there's just going to be a, that sort of palpable drop off, the sort of like difference in the storytelling voice, that the language is going to be a little different, the directing is going to be a little different, the lighting is going to be different, you know, because pilots are always shot with a great deal of money and time and energy, but then you start getting into that sort of grind of series TV and, 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 and you follow the template that's set by the pilot, but you can you tell. It's, there's this, 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 eh, there's this slight, 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 slight decline. Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, for a, for, for a recent example, uh, you know, if, if anybody out there saw the Helix premiere, the first hour of Helix was, to, to me, exactly what you're talking about, this really, like, top-notch pilot. It was directed by Jeffrey Reiner, who's done, he did a lot of Friday Night Lights. He's a really just kind of talented, you know, uh, visual stylist. Sort of like, uh, actually, Jeffrey Reiner has this thing where he directs awesome pilots and then leaves and the shows immediately go downhill. And sure enough, the second hour of Helix was was, was sort of less good. So yeah, like, you know, you, that is definitely a thing that, like, that happens all the time with TV shows where the pilot feels like it has an incredibly distinctive voice. Then you come back and it's like, wait, what, what, what happened? Where did it all go? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like, that doesn't happen here. Like, the first three episodes really feel all of a piece, and this is going to be a great binge-watch show, um, you know, because I just think that, like, you know, like, like the, the way that I experienced those first three episodes, I gulped them all down, and I just love the whole sort of, like, like getting lost in the dreaminess of, like, and uh, of, of moving from one to another, and because they have that consistent tone and, and voice to it all. I think one weakness of the show, I would say, as you watch the first first three episodes is, especially into the fourth, um, they, um, they, they all have ends and they all, they all end with a button, if you will. It's sure. like, you know, in the way that we write articles um, here at EW and we have to have the funny kicker at the end, we have this sort of button at the end. All of these shows have that kind of button, but in some cases, you know, like in the second episode, for example, I just kind of feel like it comes to a stop. Like, you know, like, you know, the, the hour is up. We've, we've, we've reached a destination in our story, and we shall leave you now for a week, and we will resume next week, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah, but, but, but and, you know, the, the first episode came to, I think, more of an organic bump. I love the end of the first episode where McConaughey realizes that what he's really being interviewed for here is that the detectives in the present day that he's talking to are investigating a new homicide with a lot of similarities to the Dora Lang case to the point where clearly what's on the table here is that maybe the guy who killed Dora Lang, um, like, killed this person in the present day, but we are led to believe through that first hour that that can't be possible mm-hmm. because like the killer of Dora Lang was either caught and is in jail or was caught and killed and so I love like like when 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 um, Rust realizes like what the detectives are, are investigating and he obviously without saying anything realizes that they are looking to him for some information or insight or perhaps with some kind of suspicion about this present day murder he kind of like starts like like returning serve and playing with them he's like yep. oh, yeah like like uh, how can it be if we caught the guy back in 95 that this is happening again and the detectives say hey we were hoping that you could tell us and he says well then start asking the right effing questions like it's just like it is great I love 
actually, Jeff, 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 uh, sorry, uh, that, that quote was wrong. What he actually said was, well, you got to start asking the right questions. All right, all right. <laughs> there really was, but like, that was like, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. No, no, no. Like, that was a great ending, and it was your first real big hint that, like, like is, is Cole playing a game here? Mm-hmm. Like, like, does he know more than he's telling, you know? And he's not going to say what he knows unless you ask the right questions. Like, so that was interesting. That was a great ending. Second one, like I said, just kind of stops. The third one has that same kind of feel where you just kind of realize, feel like, like it, it, it's about to lead you to somewhere. And it, it kind of like, <laughs> screeching halt to like, like that, but it man- and it manufactures a button so the story can st- stop. That said, the button is great. <laughs> you know, so like it's 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 it, it, it's a clunky story, but they make the clunky storytelling stop. But damn, does it st- is that stop that button like it, it just leaves you going? Yeah, I want to go to there now. Like, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. You know, sometimes I sort of wonder if, as we sort of enter fully into the era of binge watching, which boy, we really need a better term for that at some point. Maybe feast watching. I don't know. But I, I, I sort of worry sometimes that the lost art of the button. You know, because I, I, HBO, especially in its last few years, I feel like their shows have gravitated more to the wire model, where it very much is. You know, this whole season is kind of one long story, and so you know, much as I. Love the the show Game of Thrones. It kind of has that problem, with the except with one very notable red wedding exception. Like the episodes just kind of end, and so it's 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 interesting to hear that it sounds like this is sort of alternating back and forth right now. Um, well, I'm uh, d- d- Jeff. I, I'm sure we'll be talking more about True Detective as the season goes along. I want to shift though to, uh, a, to to another genre based anthology show uh, that I know we are both very big fans of. American Horror Story Coven. Uh, when this podcast hits stands, when this when this hits hits newsstands on iTunes, uh, it will be the same day as the eleventh and third to last episode of Coven season. Um, we of course uh, we're both fans of the show. I recap it. You put the American Horror Story uh, franchise as your number one show of 2013. Uh, we're just coming off the episode, the magical delights of Stevie Nicks. Uh, which did feature an appearance by Stevie Nicks. It also featured, uh, just as a as a quick rundown of, of general plot things, uh, Marie and Fiona, who've heretofore been worst enemies, are now kind of best friends, really. They've, they've sort of put aside all their differences, it seems like. Uh, they struck against the witch hunters at the Delphi Corporation, and basically just reenacted the 2008 uh, Wall Street crash. They also killed Nan, lovable Nan, uh, the character who I was really pulling for to be the next Supreme, and sacrificed her to new character Papa Legba, who I think is kind of the devil, or is sort of a a, a Grim Reaper-esque figure uh, from sort of like voodoo mysticism, played by Lance Reddick of of Fringe and The Wire fame. Uh, They also killed Luke's mother again, Lots of stuff happened, Jeff. Uh, where, where are you kind of standing now with this season in relation to where we were at at this point in Murder House and Asylum? How do you feel about Coven right now? 
Um, well, I, 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 I like Coven um, or Coven. I can never, like, I, I go back and forth, and, uh, and I will probably go back and forth in this conversation on how to pronounce <laughs> it. Um, I think that on the whole, I do like um, Asylum better. I think Asylum hits more of my um, wheelhouse. Um, I think that it also kind of like pulsed with a kind of big picture narrative thematic energy. I kind of felt like, like you know, um, uh, I think this is more a matter of taste than, than anything. I just think that like uh, Asylum felt like an almost a, 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 a surreal poppy psychological portrait of an era and a cultural legacy, right? Yes. The 60s and what it left us. Yes. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean Jeff, it is a matter of taste. Unfortunately, we both have exquisite taste, so we both like Asylum. I, I, I'm i sort of with you. I feel like a lot of people didn't like it for a lot of reasons. I mean, I, I've heard people say that it was just too disturbing. There, there right. definitely is something just fundamentally scary about the insane Asylum and about, you know, they kind of mixed in every horrifying thing ever for from that era, you know, the, the the fear of Nazi doctors, the fear of aliens, the fear of, you know, there was, there was even, you know, the sort of exorcist episode. Um, it, to me, Asylum almost felt like, you know, 10 different awesome prog rock concept albums just piled on top of each other. Uh, Coven, I think it's fair to say at this point, and I, I think that uh, co-creator Ryan Murphy has kind of said this um, to uh, our to our uh, hotshot reporter Tim Stack, Coven sort of feels like it was meant to be more fun. You know, it was sort yeah. of meant to be. We're pulling back a little bit on the totally disturbing stuff. You know, we're going to have all of our awesome actresses in you know awesome you know variations of very stylish witch wear, and it, it sort of feels a lot like you know th- this is a show that having sort of proved its bona fides, this season is just like we're gonna you know we're gonna do everything you know bring in. Dan- Danny Houston and, you know, sort of sprinkle him in occasionally. It, it, it does feel a little bit less focused at this point. Um, what, and I will say, too, I think one thing that people have talked about a lot is just the fact that this is the season where every character has died at least once at this point. Some characters have died multiple times. And I sort of go back and forth. Do you think that, you know, is there some deeper deeper thing there that, that the show is saying, either about death or using death as a metaphor? or something or is it just like you know Ryan Murphy putting the pedal to the metal and being like I'm gonna kill three characters each episode just watch me <laughs> yeah well you know like uh, th- that whole theme of death and nothing ever stays dead um, and things you know all you know just when you think you've dead and, uh, you, you, something is dead and buried whether it's a character whether it's the past whether it's past sins they're exhumed and then we're, we're, we're fighting the old fights all over and over again. Um, I feel like this is part of a, a, a core theme of, um, of, 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 of all of the American horror stories so far, which is like nothing ever changes. Mm-hmm. Um, everything just kind of evolves and, and, and all that. I don't really have any deep insights, though, on, on, on that part of the show. I wanted to circle back a little bit to something that you said, which is funny, which is that I, too, got the press release in the memo that... Um, American Horror Story Coven was the lighter, funner <laughs> season of American Horror Story. And, like, let's just put this in perspective, in relationship to itself. <laughs> um, 
because the story, this, this show is still super sinister, super disturbing, outrageously so, wantonly so. It's one of the things I love about it. I love how it pushes the buttons of, 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 of things like race and sexuality. I mean, like, you, you're kind of hovering on that borderline of, like, is this really inspired or is this really offensive? Is this really <laughs> cliche or is this really sort of like, like postmodern or are they reinvented these tropes, whatever? And I think that the story line that I'm really gravitating to and the deeper theme I'm grabbing toward, to, gra- gravitating toward to in this season, which I think is really, really smart, is this whole idea of, you know, mainstream culture versus sort of its uh, oppressed, marginalized, or subculture classes, but then how... Um, those subcultures end up sort of like fighting against each other and competing each o- against each other um, uh, um, and, and, and really sort of despairing uh, unfortunate ways. And, 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 and now to pull in a point that is not original, but I forget who kind of said it. It might have been Ryan himself from a separate interview that I'm pulling in, but I felt like I, like I really love this idea about how that kind of like subculture infighting ends up sort of like just reinforcing the dominant culture and, and those kinds of things. And so how we're sort of metaphorically representing through the crazy, like, metaphorical horror language of American story about, 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 about how culture works and how, like, things don't change um, and how progressiveness, like, cannot sort of exact the change that we need. Like, um, I, I love how all of that is sort of, like, steeped into to this, but at the end of the day, it's still just a crazy story yeah. about, about witches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, to me, the, what I've felt kind of most completely this season um, is the sense that, you know, this this really is great sort of acid pulp in the sense that I, 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 I totally think it is possible to, to enjoy it on a pure surface level because there's just so much surface yeah. there and the surface is constantly shifting and is totally wacky. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I sort of feel like in the same way the true detective feels like it represents one exciting aspect of contemporary TV culture, this, this ability to tell this very remarkable sort of, uh, you know, single author story over the course of a few episodes. American Horror Story is very different. It's it's purposefully all over the, all over the place. It feels very written for Twitter in a way that I think is, is very cool. I mean, like, I almost sort of like, sometimes I, I almost expect that they'll do uh, what, uh, what some sketch shows do, like Key and Peele, where, you know, when something happens on screen, FX will just flash a hashtag, you know, like, uh, you know, when they were, you know, when they were killing Nan, like hashtag drowning Nan would come on screen or something like that. But but at the same time, what what I love about this season too is it really feels as if Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk and the other writers, even more so than with Asylum, I think they have a very clear idea of what what sort of deeper stories they're telling. And and I think that first and foremost, to me, I sort of have loved uh, Jessica Lange playing Fiona as you know as very clearly you know witches as a metaphor for actress in Hollywood. I, I think that that yeah. is like, I mean, that's almost barely even a, a, a metaphor at this point. It's, it's been hit on the head rather lovingly a lot of times this season. But I, I love how, you know, they've sort of given Jessica Lang 
her showiest role yet. And on one hand, you know, you're very aware of her character as being, you know, this, you know, she's she's been everywhere and done everything. And, you know, she talks about Woodstock and she talks about, and, you know, there's this very exciting sort of, you know, um, uh, element of her. And at the same time, there's this incredible fear of the younger generation. And what the show has cycled through several times is this sense that as the younger generation of witches slash actresses rise up, her power sort of gets taken away. It, it, it reminds me, uh, it also reminds me a little bit of, uh, you know, strangely of The Sopranos. One of the sort of great running things in the in that gangster drama was the sense that, you know, Tony, who was sort of really like in charge, and, you know, we, we're sort of meeting him at, at a moment when the older generation is all dying off, the younger generation is coming up, you know, he should be sort of having his golden era. And throughout that show, you just sort of had this sense that, you know, Tony just kept on destroying people who were younger than him. And, you know, his sort of, his sort of relationship with Christopher and with, with, all, with all, all the kind of younger generation felt pre-apocalyptic. And I love how, you know, in Coven, you sort of have felt at times as if we're building to this point where, okay, you know, Fiona will lead the younger generation and, you know, they'll all kind of finally be able to work together. And this past episode seemed to indicate quite, quite the opposite, that Fiona is, you know, she is going to tear down this entire coven. She's going to take all of their youth away from them. And it, it feels as if it's, it's excitingly scattershot in a way, you know? Like, I sort of feel like we were talking about True Detective and about these characters who feel as if their entire sort of arc is very clear and interesting. And what's excited to me about Coven is, you know, it's, it, I, I don't even know how you'd graph Fiona's arc over the course of this season. Some weeks she seems very heroic. Some weeks she seems very villainous. Th- that, to me, is probably what I'll remember most about Coven, you know, is just kind of this sense that each week every character could do absolutely anything <laughs> which right. i think is it, very it, cool it's it, 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 it's masterfully messy and you kind of like um you, you worry you 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 and and i think this has always been the worry of this show because it's always been you know overstuffed and um just just bursting at the seams of of of, of just all these sort of excited elements within it that it, it, it it's just it, it's just going to explode in incoherence and <laughs> um and, and and they're going to lose um uh, the, a handle on its own story and by the way this is not new for a Ryan Murphy show <laughs> Um, I mean, this guy is, you know, I love how thematically rich and how busy, busy, busy and dense his shows is. And they oftentimes will get off to an amazing start. And then he kind of, and he, he might even know exactly where he's going, but he just kind of goes off the rails to get there. And then, and then he gets there and then it just kind of like, eh, you know, um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought that Asylum, Asylum had, Asylum had, um, uh, uh, Murder House, the, that first season felt like a show that was figuring itself out and figuring out, like, okay, like, you know, how do we fill, how do we tell an 11 episode, 12 episode, 13 episode season, right? And how do we make that rich and meaningful? I kind of felt like the flaw of the first season of, of American Horror Story was that it basically ran out of ideas around episode seven, mm-hmm. and then it knew it where it wanted to end, so it spun its wheels 
they kind of got rid of some characters that they really kind of didn't know what to do with, and then they ended. Um, like, Asylum had so much great story that fueled um, and, and kept it sort of interesting all the way throughout, um, while probably making a, a, a big discovery along the way, too, which was that Sarah Paulson's character was the heart and soul of the season, and her story was the best one to follow through to the end, and it did, and it did so marvelously in a way that um, I, I, that may have been the plan all along, but if it wasn't, if it was an adjustment, regardless, following that to the end and taking us to the present created sort of this unified whole of story on a season of individual great hours of television, like I thought that was just almost one of the most satisfying seasons of TV I've seen in years. Um, and with Coven, it's just like, yeah, it's like, this is a show that has figured out how to be really, really entertaining. It's learned some lessons from the past two seasons. It is like, how can we sort of play our elements and keep our... And, and keep our sensibility, but but but, uh, but just like, but, but just in a, in a really sort of entertaining, outrageous... Up. Sorry, that's my other line. I won't take it. But, like, uh, uh, <laughs> but no, but no, yeah, but you know, it, it's funny though. I, I sort of feel like I'm trying to think of the right comparison here because it just feels like you know, if American Horror Story were a band, to me, like Asylum was sort of like them just you know experimenting in every way possible and mixing in every kind of tone possible. And you know, this 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 season feels a little bit more like it's like all right, like we're gonna we sort of know what our thing is now, and it, it feels less experimental in that way but there's just more more of it which is sort of interesting and although I, I will say uh, to the show's credit I think one of the best things to sort of emerge from this season is um the the TV director who helmed a couple of the best episodes from last year, uh, Alfonso Gomez Reon, I think is how his name is pronounced. I'm, I, I apologize, Alfonso, if I pronounced your last name incorrectly. Uh, he was sort of brought on, and he directed, I believe, more than half the episodes this season. He just helmed the Stevie Nicks episode last week, and he's doing the final two episodes. And I think he's really given this season of the show the most distinctive visual look. I mean, he sort of loves he loves filming into mirrors. He loves doing really sort of long takes and slightly more interesting setups uh, than, than really, you know, you see anywhere on, on television, whether, you know, premium, basic cable or network. And I, so I, I sort of wonder if... My, my hope is, and I say this as someone who really has enjoyed this season quite a lot, that this season is sort of them, you know, getting to rest on their laurels a little bit and really having fun and bringing in Stevie Nicks and, you know, just giving all these awesome actresses the most florid, over-the-top dialogue they can possibly give them. But I, I sort of feel as if I'm going into these final three episodes mainly sort of looking to see what the teases are for next season, you know? I, I sort of love how this is a show that always kind of does that, where there's always some slight hint about what the next American horror story is going to be and I, I, I find that I'm I'm fascinated to, to know sort of what what that is but um, yeah you know be, before the season began as I was sort of like hearing and reading about like what the big thematic and tonal statement of the season was and it just kind of seemed like how we were going to go into this really sort of acid camp direction um, uh, and, 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 and quote-unquote have fun and kind of be this sort of like grand guignol of, of, of just, you know, you know neo-goth crazy. Um, I, 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 I felt like, okay, like, like, like do it, do it well. 
And uh, but I had a hunch. I had a hunch about what the next season is going to be, and I kind of feel like like this season has only kind of borne it out. Which is, I just wouldn't be too surprised if what we start hearing um, as, as 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 Ryan starts talking about next season is that season four of American Horror Story is going to be the sort of back to basics season. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like we kind of we went as far as we possibly can go. Like like we we kind of went kind of crazy, wild, fun. Like let's let let's bring it back. To a, you know, if if like season one was about a house and the history of the house, and season two was about a, a another sense of place, but also a scope of history, and season three is about is about a region and, and and cultures and subcultures. I just wouldn't be surprised if season four tries to do something more akin to season one and season two, kind of bring it back to a one locale, um, maybe with a core set of characters, um, because. I mean, I, I, I don't know how you could be any crazier than this season is, any more ambitious and big as, as this season is without just really just becoming incoherent, you know? Uh, Jeff, that's true, but let me counter. Uh, so first episode of next season, uh, a retelling of the Book of Genesis with, with Jessica Lange playing the creator. Uh, then, then we segue into the French Revolution for a couple episodes. And then I think maybe like go to space on episode four, I think I th- I, I'm, I'm just saying I'm just I'm, I'm just throwing out some some random uh, some random possibilities you know for, for how it could get bigger and crazier. <laughs> you've, you've sold me in the sense of like, okay, I want to see that. <laughs> But I, I, I think that we both sort of agree that uh, w- what I like most about this whole kind of American horror story experiment, because it, it does still feel like an experiment to me. I mean, True Detective is in its own way maybe building towards being an anthology like this, but American Horror Story right now is the one show where in a sort of twilight zone except serialized fashion, they're making a, a show where each season will have you know the same kind of creative staff, even the same sort of voice, many of the same uh, very talented actors who are sort of called upon to do very sort of wild and outrageous things. Uh, But at the same time, each season tells a very different story and has a very different tone. And I I sort of like how it doesn't feel to me like they've lost that experimental edge, you know, and and, uh, and I'm intrigued to see what we both think about it after the season is over, just because uh, to me, the last episode of Asylum uh, last season, which had the great sort of, you know, um, Alan Moore comic book, you know, cycling through the, you know, this sort of saga of of what led up to the present day while cutting back and forth between these different storylines. I I thought that was one of the best sort of season finales, miniseries finales, series finales, whatever you want to call it, uh, that I've seen in television lately. And I I sort of... yeah, it was it was it was for me like you know if 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 they had asked me to pick what the the, the single best hour of television was last year, I I would have put Ozymandias and uh, for, uh, from Breaking Bad and uh, the season finale of Asylum uh, in, into a, a pit bull ring and just let it do, <laughs> let them like at each other's throats and just <laughs> walk, walk out. It's but, it's 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 the Jeff Jensen TV episode Thunderdome. Two episodes enter, one episode leaves. <laughs> That's right. But uh, yeah, I mean, th- those were just electrifying pieces of storytelling for completely different reasons and different values. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, like. And the director that you pointed out, you know, continuing my grand tradition of not trying to pronounce names that I can't pronounce. <laughs> um, 
but but I mean, he, he, like he's a genius. He's, I mean, yeah, he's he's great. I I I hope that uh, he uh, delivers more long takes and mirror shots than ever uh, in these last two episodes. Jeff, uh, before we wrap up, we should go on the record here. Who do you think the next Supreme is? Um, this slash, do you think that'll even be revealed, or or is this going to be some hilarious red herring for the entire season of Coven? I think that there will be no Supreme. I think this is the end of, I think that the, the tragedy, uh, I think we're building up to grand comic tragedy in which, um, uh, in which, uh, uh, which the entire witch race is uh, obliterated due to its own, um, uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. Or <laughs> Due to its own, et cetera, et cetera. See, the funny thing is, Jeff, sometimes, like, given, given how the show works, I wouldn't be surprised if that is written on the whiteboard in the writer's office. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure this out on the day. We'll, we'll have Jessica do something awesome. Um, so, you're, so, you, so you're officially entering your vote as no one? Is that, is, is that what I can put in the books here, in my, in, in my books that I, that, that I keep uh, over here at Geekly Central? Huge confession. Still haven't caught up with the last episode. Misty's still in play, right? Misty is still... Uh, well, I mean, uh, d- d- she she has been put briefly out of play, but f- fair to say that, that she'll come back. So you're... Uh, d- I, think, I think she would be a, a totally reasonable uh, guess at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but, like... Uh, I, 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 yeah, like, uh, I, I, I'm, I, I don't know. Do don't it, know Jensen, do it, do it, enter your vote. <laughs> quit, quit. What do you think, Darren? Uh, I am going to go with Zoe, a.k.a. Thaisa Farmiga, um, just because, I mean, again, this is why I, 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 I love the show. In the first episode, I think you, you were very much led to believe that this was going to be her story. It very much has not been. Uh, in fact, she's done very, very little this season besides have the sort of fascinating sort of running flirtation with Kyle, who's been brought back to life and also hasn't done uh, all all that much lately. I still think that we're going to circle back around to her, sort of like Jeff, how in in most seasons of Lost, like Jack would sort of disappear for most of the middle part and then would come roaring back at the end. I think she's going to come back sort of of along the same lines as what you said. I think everyone else is going to to either destroy each other or self-destruct. Like I think the probably like like the last shot of the episode of the finale is going to be Miss Robichaux has been burnt to the ground or exploded to the ground or witched to the ground, something to the ground, um, and you'll just see Zoe sort of walking away on her own, um, and she'll be kind of like the last remaining witch, and maybe she'll rebuild uh, the, the witch society. Maybe she won't, but I think I think she's going to be the the new supreme though. That's that's my bet. Here's the vibe that I'm uh, I, I, I'm feeling slash maybe interested in seeing. It's not that all the witches die or anything like that. It's that they all lose their power. Like Ooh. This, like, this, this sort of like um, uh, this, uh, this 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 storied, tortured, tragic awful history of witches and persecution of witches and witch infighting and power struggles you know all of it all builds to maybe the action of one person perhaps zoe um who like maybe like um creates a whole new future for her her, her race if you will by 
rehumanizing them in the sense of deep of taking away their their, their supernatural power, i.e., the thing that causes them to fight over each other. If mm-hmm. they're just kind of like, you know, like depowered and, and and left to sort of just be women and take care of each other, um, like you know, you know. Maybe that's the closest thing to a happy ending that American Horror Story could possibly give us. Totally. Okay, so uh, listeners, you've heard our theories. Uh, please do let us know what yours are. You can tweet us, uh, tweet at us. Is it is a tweet or tweet at, Jeff? We'll we'll ask our uh, fact checkers about that. Uh, Jeff is at EW Doc Jensen. I'm at Darren Franich. Uh, Jeff, I think that about wraps us up. Any, any final thoughts on True Detective American Horror Story? Or, you know... I, I w- I would just say that about both of them, you know, I'm, I'm about to basically almost start a conversation that we don't want to have right now. <laughs> but, you know, I, but what I love about both of them is that, you know, they are these anthology franchises, and, and some seasons are going to be better than others, but I love how what we're seeing from both of them, and I think what American Horror Story has proved, and I think what true de- the opportunity that is in front of True Detective now is that you can really do a lot of innovative, great storytelling, um, the kind of thing that, like, really excites us. Um, you know, we shouldn't give it a free pass just because it's doing something unusual or different and interesting, but they've found these formats that allow for, uh, for, for exciting storytelling that we kind of need to see more of. They, they do represent a trend that I think that we should be concerned about, which is the increasing embrace of genre and, like, uh, uh, because that's the only thing that, like, studios and networks can market. You know, it's like, we need detective mystery. We need, like, um, horror. And, yes, we could be postmodern and inventive about it within the, within the whole thing. But give us, like, something iconic and recognizable with stars that we can market, um, that, that people can uh, wrap their minds around inside and, and, and with a marketing campaign. And I think, I think that, that that's dangerous, especially coming off a year of, inventive things like Orange is the New Black and, and all that. You kind of want to see kind of form-busting genre or trans-genre shows. Um, you want you do want to see more of that, but but, um, but but I'm excited about, like, I just feel like this is really exciting, and I hope that it, it inspires more like it and, and, and more beyond it. You know? Jeff, Jeff, that is a conversation we are definitely going to have next week, the, the increasing embrace of genre. Jeff, I think you just gave us a button, man. I think that was a button for this episode of Entertainment Geekly. God, look at this. So so professional, Jensen. So professional. Um, but uh, unfortunately, that does wrap us up for this week. Thanks, everyone out there for listening. I'm Darren Franich. I'm Jeff Jensen. Stay tuned for more. <laughs>